So they missed that. You want me to repeat all of that about the bottle assembly? Okay. So if you're uh, if you're streaming this, and um, hopefully the audio will sound a little bit better. I don't, I'm not wearing a mask today, just to help audio. Um, we're just kind of going through some notes. Um, checked on Brian's email that he sent out to the church about assembling the Sierra Leone Bible. Pretty much everything you should know there. Tonight at 6 o'clock is uh, HBI graduation. And if you can come, please do. It's just uh, for a couple reasons I would encourage you to come. You can kind of see what HBI is all about, the finishing product of HBI. And, uh, and then also just to kind of support uh, our graduates. We only have one graduate this time, but that's okay. At least we have a graduate. I'm really excited about that. <coughs> and just encourage her. Uh, and uh, her husband is one of the, is, our, is in the class himself, so he'll be graduating in a couple of years. But uh, that'll go kind of a 90 minutes, and then we'll have a reception afterwards. Um, HBI registration is open now. If you want to, if you want to take any classes, you don't have to take them all. Um, and uh, just you can there's a link on the on the website. You can sign up for one or two or three or four classes or five. I think there's five classes. Two of them are eight weeks long, and the rest of them are 16 weeks long. Um, but you can register now, and all the, all the costs and everything are on the website. Men's breakfast on uh, July 18th, and then uh, on July 4th is Spark in the Park. Spark in the Park. And then try to evangelize the park. Um, I don't know how that's going to work. Um, Pat Lee's got all the details on that. You can talk to Pat Lee about that and get get his his input from him. Um, in the bulletin, there's some more information about, about Bible publishing. and we have a lot of projects that we've got going from now until the end of the year or until we can get them all done. The biggest one is 21,000 New Testaments for um, Malawi and Zambia. And uh, um, that's a lot. We're going to try, try to get at least half of them done during the Bible conference, um, but we may be able to get them all done. We have a lot of work, a lot of work. So, um, and then um, oh, there's other stuff in the bulletin. You can take a look at reading all of that. So um, uh, I think that's everything. Um, so we turn over to the Book of Mark, chapter four. We'll read down, starting in verse 10, down to verse 20. We'll go to prayer. Just for some people to keep in, in, in remembrance of, of prayer time. We'll be uh, praying for Annabeth and her situation. Um, just keep lifting her up in prayer. I know that she appreciates your prayers. Uh, praying for uh, Joyce Slayhoover's uh, and her family, especially her daughter Jill. Praying for the Balkans. Uh, all three of the Vulcan family has things going on in their life, and that's why they're not here. They're just they're very very cautious, so we just want to see them. But we can pray for them. Uh, Gwen Arney, uh, praying for him, praying for the Steels, and uh, and just praying for the church in general that we can be a lighthouse for the gospel and for healing um, and uh, reconciliation with God. And so we're going to read down from number ten to twenty chapter 4 of Mark, and then I'll pray and I'll give time for somebody else who wants to join in prayer, and then I'll close up and then we'll get into the lesson. So Mark chapter uh, 4, verse 10, and when he was alone, they, they were, or they that were with him, or about him, with the twelve, asked of them the parable. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside, <clears throat> where the word is, the, is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on the stony ground, which when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, 
and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when the affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended, and they are they, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust, and other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, which such as the heart, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring it forth fruit, some thirty fold, some sixty, and some hundred. Let's pray. Father in Lord, we just thank you for uh, this passage of Scripture. It reminds us, Lord, that, that the Word of God, first off, it needs to be sown. And Lord, as we uh, we want to pray for Spark in the Park as we're being a reminder of this passage, that we're going to sow the seed in the park. Uh, we don't know what kind of uh, park ground those, the seed will land on. But we pray, Father, that it's on that seed, that on that ground where the seed will take root and grow up strong uh, and, uh, and that people would be saved as a result of the work of, of sowing that seed. But not just there either, Father, but every chance we get, we would be able to sow the seed um, to family, to friends, to neighbors, to just total strangers that we have the opportunity to express uh, your love for them. Uh, and, uh, and I pray, Father, that we would be able to do that. I want to pray for the people that we mentioned, Annabeth, and just pray for her, uh, pray for Joyce, the Balkans, the Steels, Gwen Arney, and uh, Lord, just anybody else. I know, I'm, I know I'm missing people, but I do pray for every person. Uh, Lord, in our class, I pray for the real life class that it would be a place where people can find uh, uh, fellowship and and uh, a camaraderie, Lord, Lord, that's in the in the class. And for those that are not able to be here because uh, they are uh, apprehensive about the 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 situation with the virus. I pray for that too. I pray, Lord, that you would remove this virus uh, from our our land and you would remove it from our, our bodies and you, know, you would take care of the, the needs that we have, Lord, that you would not let this hinder our ability to minister and that we would stand strongly on your on your truth. And we just thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. in prayer we just ask that you would be with us that you would speak to our hearts as we look at the final chapter or the final section of, of chapter 3 in the book of Philippians open our hearts and our minds and our understanding Lord uh, that we would be able to apply this passage of scripture in our life we just love you and we praise you and thank you in Jesus name Amen so you get this thing like right up close to me they can't hear me It's better. I don't have a, a good way to attach a microphone. So, well, we'll have to come up with another way to do this. All right, so we're talking in the book of Philippians today. We're in chapter 3. We're going to start, um, we're going to kind of just kind of jump back a little bit over the last, from last week and look at a couple things. Uh, but then we'll get into chapter 3, starting in verse um, 11 and 12. We're going to back up to verse 11 and 12 to, to get launched here because we didn't really dig into that very far. But I just want to share um, a, a little bit of my testimony because I think it kind of goes along with, with what Paul is talking about in this chapter. My testimony and how I was motivated uh, to minister at the church that I got saved. And I bring it up because um, it's really... Well, in my view, it may, it may not mean anything to anybody else, but in my view, it, I, I amazed myself that I was motivated to be involved. When I look back at my life, you know, within um, a short time after I got saved, uh, you know, the preaching was the motivation that really drove me to say, okay, well, if that's what's going on, if I believe this, then I just need to get involved someplace. I need to do something. I don't know what that something is, but I need to do something. And I just remember being motivated and as I, as I, well, the first thing that I did, uh, I thought, okay, I've, I've coached Little League Baseball, and so I think I'll coach baseball. 
And then I found out what the requirements were about when I had to be there for practice. I'm like, I can't do that. Because I lived in Lansing, Kansas. It's almost a 45-mile drive just to get to church. So I said, you know what I can do? I can cut the grass. And so I would bring my lawnmower, because for some reason the church didn't have its own lawnmower. But I would bring my ride mower, and I would mow the ball field before they had practice or games or whatever. And that was what I did for the first couple of years. And then I got involved in going to the uh, jail, and then got involved in going to the um, City Union Mission, which is where I met Pastor Brian. Um, it was just a matter of being motivated. And what Paul is talking about here is how he was motivated to do the same type of thing, to do his ministry. And so my question would be, what motivates any of us to serve, and, and or what do we lack for motivation? Because I know everyone in this room is, is, is preoccupied with serving the Lord. So I'm not concerned about really anybody here, but it's a good thing to think about. What motivates you? You know, uh, what, what, what prompted you to get involved in something, whatever ministry that may be? And, or, or do we lack in the, uh, lack of, do we have a lack of motivation? And maybe you could be the inspiration in somebody's life who is lacking the motivation that they need right now to, to serve. Uh, you know, one of the things that I like try to do is to motivate people to sign up for HPI. Because I think it will profit everybody to be involved in HPI. You know, it's a, it's a huge commitment. But I know that I committed to go through our Shepherd School, what we call Shepherd School of Ministry. It was four years, and it was on Saturday mornings. And, you know, we modeled our Bible Institute now in a, in a similar way as that. And, um, you know, so even our students now, they, they had to... They had to sacrifice some things. And so Paul talks about sacrifice in this chapter. We, we looked a little bit at that at, at, the, at the early uh, part of the chapter. And so, uh, so I just want to kind of start with that because that's, that's the, the, the content uh, or the context of this chapter is about being motivated or, be, or lacking motivation, being willing to sacrifice, willing to give up what you need to give up in order to, to serve the Lord. Still not working? Oh, my goodness. So is there something wrong with this thing? I don't know. I don't know. It's got like 12,000 control knobs on it. So. <laughs> I, I think it's this one over here. Maybe that one. I can't turn it. Yeah, maybe that one. Oh, wow. Well, I need self it. All right. Well, I'm sorry that this isn't working. We'll have to play around with this somehow. Julie said I should have just brought my laptop, and I said no. And then she just moved that. I think I, I think it's okay. But I don't know where the microphone is. Sorry about that. Okay. Somebody says it's really good. Yeah, somebody's liking it. I think we're playing. Sorry, guys. Okay. We'll take the whole thing down. So you that way people aren't looking at my ears. Okay, so just as a reminder, <clears throat> we're not going to read. Sorry, we're not going to read in verse, uh, down from verse one to, to eleven. But just as a reminder, verses one to three. Remember, he started that chapter. He said, uh, "Finally, rejoice," and uh, and so he's connecting back from chapter two uh, and going into this chapter, and he wants us to be rejoicing. And we talked about that that as a motivated Christian, we need to be rejoicing at all times, and because Jesus Christ. Uh, was was rejoicing and we should rejoice and Paul I think is is bringing the thinking of chapter 2 into this chapter as a description of what a Christian should really look like we should rejoice we should be rejoicing uh, you know in the Bible does say rejoice in all things and some people say well how can you be joyful when, when your life is falling apart that's the whole point it's not what's happening in your life it's having a joyful attitude towards the fact that you're saved and that Jesus Christ is working through you. And then we talked in verse 2, we talked about beware. He said, beware to mark or observe or to be on guard on guard uh, against those that are trying to stop you from having that joy. And we looked at several different things about staying alert against the wildness of some people, their, <clears throat> their uh, desire to mess things up. And so we talked about that and then 
And then uh, in verse 3, again, he says, Rejoice in Christ. And so rejoicing in the Lord, not the flesh. That's his comparison. So basically, he's comparison. Where do you find your joy? Do you find your joy in fleshly things, in physical things, in temporal things? Or do you find joy in Christ? And that's where we should find our joy, is in Christ. And uh, in, in chapter chapter uh, 3, verse 7, Paul Paul's confidence, remember, he listed his, his credentials. Uh, you know, that he was a he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, uh, he was a uh, tribe of Benjamin, he was a Pharisee, and all those things. He listed all his credentials, and that was where he found his joy, and that's where he found his, his substance. And he says, you know what, that's, I can't all of that but loss. And so, so that was the point that we were looking at last, last week. And, then, uh, and so, so we compared, starting in verse 8, I think, or no, verse 4 down to verse 11, some things that, that you need to give up and some things that you gain when you give up. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dig into that further about the gaining uh, uh, and the lo losing of certain things. So when Paul got saved, and we talked about this last week, when Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, uh, remember in Acts chapter 9, uh, he met Jesus Christ on that road. So, uh, he was on his way to Damascus. Anybody remember why he was on the road to Damascus? He wasn't going to church. Well, yeah, he kind of was. He was going to persecute the church, to persecute the Christians, to arrest them. He'd kill them if he needed to, but he was going to stop um, uh, the... Um, the movement of, of Christianity. And that was his desire. He wanted to stop that way, I think is what it referred to in an earlier point. He wanted to stop the way, the Christian way. Um, by the way, we need to be praying for all of our churches across the country uh, because churches are under threat today. And uh, we need to lift them up in prayer. Even our own church. We need to protect our church. We're kind of out here in the middle of a cornfield or a cow pasture, whatever, whatever it was before we built the building. And, uh, you know, there's people that come into our parking lot at two, 2 o'clock in the morning and do donuts in the parking lot. You've probably seen the tire marks. Well, what if somebody comes in at 2 o'clock in the morning and they want to burn a building down? Yeah. That's, that's, that's a real possibility today. Yeah. And so we need to be praying for the protection of our church. So anyway, uh, Paul, Paul had a confidence in the flesh, and he decided in verses 4 to 7 that it was worthy all of, of it was worthy of loss. He just gave all that. He said, that's... He called it dumb, you know, a waste product. It was it, none of that meant anything to him. But then, when he got into verses eight to eleven, he expressed his confidence in Christ and what it what it was uh, gained in Christ to know Christ, uh, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He called it. And so, um, so what we want to what I want to do is I want to start back in verse ten, and I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter, and we'll get the whole flow of everything, and then we'll break it all down. So in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, Paul writes, That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are before, or which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward. I love this verse. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. And he says in verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk, as, uh, for many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in the shame, in their shame who mind earthly things, for our red, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So we're going to start back in verses 10 to 11, although we touched on that uh, at the end last week. 
but we barely touched on it. We didn't really dig into it very much. So I want to come back uh, and start with verses 10 and 11 uh, because what, what Paul is talking about, there's some positive profit that comes from salvation. Uh, so let's, we're going to start here. We're going to drill down. We're going to dig into it a little bit further to see these, you know, there's two goals that every Christian should strive for. See, how many of you have a goal to strive for as a Christian? Let me give you two two things that you can strive for. If you've never thought about this before, I'll give you two two things that every Christian should strive for. Every one of us, no matter who we are, these two things. Number one, to know Christ. We should desire to know Christ. Well, what does that mean to know Christ? Well, we're going to dig into that here in a minute. But we should know, we we should desire to know Christ. After all, He is your Savior. He is your Lord. Right. And number two, I mean, these are real simple things, right? Number two is to be like Jesus Christ. We should desire to be like him. So we need to know him, and we need to act like him. That should be the goal, the primary. Now, you can have other goals, right? You know, maybe you decide you want to be a missionary, and you have a goal of going to the mission field, or you have a goal of planting a church, or you have a goal of starting a ministry in this church, or taking over a ministry, or getting involved. In, those are great goals. But as a Christian, starting as a Christian, because that was kind of what motivated me I didn't think about it in those terms at the beginning of my salvation and beginning of my walk when I started serving the Lord. But when you think about it, that's really what I was doing. It was to know Christ because ultimately the preaching introduced me to who Christ was. That's why I got saved, actually. They introduced me to Christ, and they introduced me to what he was doing. I was like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So so that's, that's, that's the two goals that you and I should have at the beginning of our, our walk as a Christian. To know Christ and to look like Him and act like Him and be like Him. Uh, so, so the question then is: If that's your goal, what are you willing to exchange for your soul? Because Paul is exchanging some things, and that's really what he's talking about. He's made an exchange. If you turn over to the to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter sixteen, Jesus Christ mentions this exchange. Matthew chapter 20, uh, 16, verse 25 and 26. Jesus Christ kind of makes a challenge in the same context. He says, Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 16, verse 25 and 26. Okay. It says, for whosoever shall, will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And then look what he says in verse 26. For what, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So what are you going to exchange? Jesus Christ is asking that question. What are you willing to exchange for your soul? You ever think about the fact that when you got saved, you made an exchange. You made a deal with Jesus Christ, just like Paul did on the road to Damascus. Now, I'm not saying, you know, it's like that. What was that song, that um, Charlie Daniels song? Um, devil, you know, with the fiddle. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, know, the guy made a deal with the devil, and then he could play, you know, he said, if I can beat you, if I can play better than you, then, you know, anyway. Anyway, that's all I remember. Uh, but here's the thing. Paul was talking about giving something up to gain something. He was giving up his life, his prior life. He gave us his testimony of his life as a uh, Pharisee, as a, uh, a Benjamite, as a uh, Hebrew, as, a, as a, the, tribe of, uh, the tribe of Benjamite, Israel, Pharisee, all that stuff. He gave all that up when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, Jesus is saying that in order to gain... In order for you to profit, in order for you to get something, there must be an exchange that you're willing to make. And what this is what he's looking for. It's exchanging your life for what God considers to be the, of the highest value. What is the highest value in your life? Now, I'm not talking about your wealth in the bank or the value of your home or you know, what kind of job you have or what kind of car you drive. And that's not the value we're talking about. We're talking about the, what is the most valuable thing in your life. It's your soul. See, think about it. Jesus Christ came to earth for what purpose? To save your soul. He exchanged 
his time in heaven, he exchanged his life for the cross so that you, your soul, could be saved. So he made that exchange. So what exchange are you willing to make now in reverse back to Jesus Christ? And that's what that's what Paul's talking about in this chapter. What Jesus Christ is talking about in Matthew. So Jesus, he identified the greatest things that are precious to God. That is your soul. In, in Psalms, in the book of Psalms, chapter 4, turn it over there. In the book of Psalms, chapter 49. hope the audio is better. Anyway, Psalm chapter 49 and verse 8. It says, For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceases forever. Um, and so the, the, the soul is precious. The soul is precious to God. Um, so I would say that God thought that I'm valuable, um, valuable enough for him to die. He saw me as valuable. He saw my soul as precious. He saw your soul as precious. He has seen every, every human being's soul as precious. And he has made that exchange. Now, when, that, when we receive salvation, our life changes. Uh, and we, we have a different situation going on. But now, what are we going to exchange? What are we going to do? Because you know what? A lot of Christians get saved. And they still look like they did before they got saved. Okay, so here's, here's a couple things just as a statement. This is, it took me a while to get my head wrapped around in these two statements. If you want to gain your soul, it will cost your life. If you want to gain your soul, it will cost you your life. If you would, um, if you would, if you would want to save your life, it will cost you your soul. So some people are not willing to give up their their life in order to gain their soul or gain the whole world. Though, but think about that. You know, I, I don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. I don't want to be saved. I don't want to go to church. I don't want any of that stuff. I don't want none of that nonsense of Christianity. They're not willing to give any of that up for their soul. But so, but so, what they do? They give up their soul for their life. They're willing to sacrifice. I don't want to be saved. I mean, I actually used to say that to people that used to witness to me before I got saved. They would witness to me when I was in the navy, and I was. I don't want anything to do with that. And I'm rejecting life. And I didn't realize it at the time. I look back on it now. I'm like, well, you're an idiot. I mean, you 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 were willing. I mean, you're in a submarine. You're underwater for crying out loud. You know. I mean, if a hole comes at you, if you get a hole in the submarine, that's not a good thing. No. no, no. So, so anyway. Uh, um, okay. So I think you get the point. Okay. So the exchange that Jesus Christ is talking about in Matthew chapter 16 now is simply: What are you willing to exchange in order to gain the eternity of salvation? What are you willing to exchange? And so Paul, Paul gives us three truths uh, that we gain in salvation. I think you have three blanks in your handout. Uh, first, we gain the knowledge of Jesus Christ in verse ten. So let's go back there to verse ten in the Philippians uh, chapter three. Notice he says in verse ten that I may know him. I mean, well, let's back up to verse nine and be found. I've got to back up quite a ways actually. Let's just go to verse eight. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, that's it, and sacrifice and all of that, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And then he says in verse 10, that I may know him, so he's already said this twice now, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. In verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So in verse 10, uh, he says three things that we gain. First off, we gain the knowledge of Christ. Now this is more than just knowing about Christ. This is more than just having an intellectual knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's more than just knowing what he said in the Bible. Knowing that he taught parables and you know that you know the gospels speak about Jesus Christ's ministry. You know that he was that uh, he was born of a virgin. I'm not talking about knowing that, although that's good stuff to know. Um, what I'm talking about is knowing Christ. What Paul is talking about is knowing Christ intimately, knowing Him well, 
That's our first goal, to know Christ. Well, how would do you want to just know about him? Or do you want to know him? You know, that's that's what he's talking about here. So when we go back to verse 8, Paul viewed all things as waste simply because of the excellency and the privilege of, no, of the knowledge of Christ. He said, all of that is a waste of time because I get to know Jesus. And sometimes that's, a, that's, that's hard for, for us because we all live in a materialistic world today. I mean, our life is materialistic no matter how you slice it. Each one of us is different materialistic, but it's still materialistic. We have things. We want to protect our things. We want to buy more things. You know, um, I'm trying to sell stuff on eBay, or not eBay, but on, on Facebook, and I've gotten rid of a few things. You know, but but it's about things. But really, what is it, what it should be about? It should be about knowing knowing Christ, knowing Him intimately. Um, when you look back at verse eight, you see that he that he considered all things a waste, simply because of the excellency and the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ. So knowing Christ this way is fulfilling. When we know him that way, you know what he said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. He says, and to know the love of Christ. Paul says that that's a powerful thing, to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. When you know Jesus Christ that well, that intimately, now, now you, are, you, are, you, know Christ, you know God. You have the privilege of knowing who he is. And so this knowledge of Jesus Christ is a blessing so transcendent. I use the word transcendent, which means boundless. There's no bounds to how much you can know about Christ. Uh, there's nothing else worthy to be called God good in comparison to the knowledge of Christ. The best thing that you could possess is an intimate knowledge of your Savior. That's the best thing that you could ever, ever have. That's what Paul is talking about here. He had it all. He had, he had position. He had prestige. He had power. He had authority. He had everything. And he says, you know what? That didn't do me good. It didn't do me any good. And I'm so glad I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And we had an exchange uh, that took place at that, at that point in my life. The second thing that, he, that you gain is the realization of the power of his resurrection. And again, in verse 10, he goes on and he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You ever think about the fact that, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was really a lot of bunch of humans to bury him. Yet he raised himself up. That's powerful. That's a huge, that, that is powerful. That he raised himself up. And I know the Bible says that God raised him from the dead. And God did raise him from the dead. But he is God. And he's Jesus Christ. And he's the Holy Spirit. And, he, and that power. That's the power that you have access to. You and I have that kind of power. Access accessible in us when we know Jesus Christ in the way that we should know him. The impact of being saved, uh, it'd be, let's see, where am I at? I think they, no, I'm sorry. The impact of him being saved becomes an understanding that the power that raised up Jesus Christ is the same power that will raise you up one day. You're going to be raised by the same power that, was, that raised up Jesus. You have access to the same power that Jesus has access to. And it's the same power that works in your life. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So God raised him from the dead, but that's the same power that's going to raise you from the dead. That's why we don't have to fear death. Because we're going to be raised up. Now, granted, you know, maybe we don't like the pain of death. I mean, the physical pain. But we can exchange that, too, for the physical rejoicing of having a glorified body and never have to experience pain again. Amen. I mean, that's a cool thing. That's just an amazing thing. So this power that Paul is referring to is the center of our hope, and it's the evidence of our immortality as well. You know, um, no matter what's going to happen in our life, we're all going to come to the point, and I think the book of Hebrews, I think it's in Hebrews, it says, um, uh, as a point that wants the man to die and afterwards the judgment so everybody's going to die at some point in time and we're all going to be judged but we can be resurrected through the power of God to eternal life and that power is awesome and the third thing that we experience the last, the last one is as a blank there he again says in verse 10 we experience the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death now that's a little bit kind of uh, might 
twist your head around a little bit. See, Paul was not looking for a way not to suffer. He just recognized that his relationship with Jesus Christ is even more than being conformed to his death in the sense that if Paul, remember what Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Romans 6, verses 5 and 6. He said this, For if we had been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So, when we're saved, we are supernaturally put in Christ, dying with him, and the greatest personal testimony didn't went to my wrong page here. Dying with him and rising with him. But Paul has a different meaning here when he's talking about the fellowship of his of his of his death. What Paul means here is that he gains somebody who can fellowship with him in the sufferings that he's feeling. You know how okay, so here's this is how it works. I'm trying to give you an example, illustration. You find comfort if you had well, for me dealing with my cancer. I find a little bit of comfort associating with other people that have the same deal, the same situation that I have. I find comfort in, in talking to them. Uh, I find comfort in talking to people that have had cancer. Why? Because it changes my whole perspective on things. So we can fellowship in the suffering that we're dealing with. And what Paul is saying about Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ suffered and now he's suffering and you and I are suffering, and I can find fellowship with Jesus Christ, even in my cancer, because I'm suffering, and Jesus Christ suffered too. In fact, um, where is my note? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. You guys remember this verse? For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We kind of associate that with, you know, we, we, we get tempted with sin, Jesus Christ got tempted with sin, and he was without sin, so he didn't, get, he didn't fall into sin. But that's not all it's talking about. It's also talking about the fact that he has suffered. I mean, I, I hope I never get put on a cross and scourged and all that stuff. But he has. But what I'm dealing with, that's just as far as I want to take it. But I can find fellowship with Jesus Christ because he suffered. And that's what Paul is talking about. That we can, that, that the, the two of us, him and me, we experience the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus Christ and we're conformed to his death. Uh, and so, I just think that that's a pretty cool thing to think about. Um, and, um, okay, so let's go to verses 12 to 16 because we need to pursue this prize. We have to take action uh, to deal with this. So back in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16, Paul starts off this passage, it's not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which I am also apprehended of Christ, of Christ Jesus. So, while it's important to consider what is gained as a result of salvation, well, obviously we gain eternal life, we gain eternity. But while it's, clear, while it's important to consider that gain, Paul is clear that he has not yet attained perfection. And I want to point that out in verse 12, because uh, it's risky for a Christian to assume that Paul has arrived at the end point of Christianity. What is the end point of Christianity? You ever think about what is the end point? What, what does the end of your Christian walk look like? What is the end? Um, so I, I would say that getting to the end would be uh, being in heaven, having an incorruptible body, uh, having a body that no, having having no 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 more sin, and we don't we don't sin, and that's good. But are we there yet? Anybody that's a Christian that you know, have, have they gotten to that point? They're still walking the earth. No, of course not, because we haven't made to perfection. That's what Paul says in verse twelve. He says, "Neither or either were already perfect, but I follow after. But after trying to be as perfect as possible, because that's his walk." So, um, there is a uh, doctrinal teaching out there, which I had never heard of until I started breaking this passage down. It's called the second, um, a second grace. Has anybody heard the term second grace? Okay, so a second grace, because what, what some people will teach is that Paul is referring to a second grace. And so let me explain them. 
So it's risky for Paul, for anybody, to assume that we've arrived at the end point of Christianity. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. So that's a goal that we have, right, to get to the point of, of uh, uh, sanctification. And we, talk, we teach about sanctification, right? There's three levels of sanctification. Uh, you get sanctified when you get saved. There's a progressive sanctification that, that your life is growing through. And then there's ultimately a final sanctification when you go to heaven. But that, that final sanctification doesn't happen on this earth while you're still alive. Because you're still trying to think everybody still can have a bad life or have a bad day. Right? I mean, that's just the way it is. Okay, so what Paul is addressing is the mistake that could be called the second work of grace. The Methodist Church, which I didn't know this, the Methodists call it a complete or total sanctification or perfectionism, meaning that once you are saved, which is the first work of grace, uh, this is followed by the second work of grace where you instantaneously are made sinless. Uh, so some will go so far that it eradicates sinful nature in your life. That's a Methodist church. But I look it up and I'm like, okay, I've never heard this before. This is pretty, pretty wild. Um, the defining characteristics of this event are what are the um, that it is separate from salvation and it brings about a significant spiritual change in the life of the believer. So you get saved. That's your first. That's first. That's the first step of grace. Now it may happen immediately. It may happen down the road a little bit. It may take time, but eventually God pours out enough second grace on you that you're no longer a sinner. Uh, uh, okay. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement, and he taught that there were two phases in the Christian experience. The first work of grace, new birth, uh, and the second work of grace, which is sanctification. See, we use that term sanctification, and I just described it, right? You got saved, that's sanctification. A, uh, then you have progressive sanctification during your life, where you are moving away from uh, sinfulness. It's not that you're becoming perfect, but you, you try to walk in the newness of life as much as possible. And then when you go to heaven, you're fully sanctified and you have a glorified body. So after Wesley's death, the holiness movement, you may have probably heard of the holiness movement, uh, emerged in the 1860s desiring to reemphasize his teaching. Holiness preachers taught that sanctification was an instantaneous experience. And in the holiness movement, the second work of grace is considered to be a cleansing from the tendency to commit sin, an experience um, called entire sanctification which leads to Christian perfection it's uh, I think I don't know if you, anybody ever had an opportunity to talk to somebody who tells you they're a Christian and they never sin oh I have uh, I've had a couple times where oh I don't I don't ever sin you're human but I don't ever sin and I didn't know maybe this maybe this is what they were coming from I don't know I don't know There you go. <laughs> what people do, that's what they think. Uh, so, the, so in their doctrinal statement, the, the Methodist um, core values statement uh, states that we believe that God calls every believer to holiness that rises out of his character, and we understand it to be the new birth, and include a second work of grace that empowers, purifies, and fills each person with the Holy Spirit to continue a lifelong pursuit. That's just... Okay, so when they look at what Paul is saying, he's, I mean, Paul's statement in verse, verse 12 just completely eliminates this doctrine as being valid because he says, I'm saved, I've counted all that stuff as, as lost, but I'm still not perfect. He says, I'm trying to apprehend that which was apprehended of me. And so that's an important part of it. So he has not, he, the other word that's important in verse 12 is that he had not attained. And Paul declares that he has yet not attained perfection, though he seeks it. And we should seek perfection. Uh, but he's not seeking a second dose of grace to attain it. And that's what we should not seek either. We should just be what God wants us to be. Uh, so before Paul was saved, he shared his testimony of his human qualifications. And we've already looked at all of that. Declaring in verse 7 that what was given to him, meaning a gain to perfection, he was now counting lost. Because he thought that he was perfect. He thought because of the law because of his role as a Pharisee, because of his role as a Hebrew, because of his role as a Benjamite. He thought he was everything he needed was he was perfect. 
and he's realized, oh, no, I'm, I wasn't perfect then, I'm not perfect now. And that's kind of how all of us, we would all admit, um, no, I'm not perfect. I still make mistakes. I'm saved, thank goodness, but I still make mistakes. I think that's where all of us are. So the word attained simply means to have arrived at a goal. And Paul expresses in verse 14 that he is continuously pressing towards a prize, a victory, a goal that is in front of him. And that goal is called, look at verse 14, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he's pressing for. That's what Paul is seeking after. And this goal is the high calling of God. And what that means is, it means to strive from heaven, strive for heaven, and being um, found worthy of that finish. So, doesn't mean that you're going to heaven, but you know, some people go to heaven because they're saved, and they're going to go to heaven, but when they get there, they're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ, and their works are going to burn. And Paul, Paul doesn't want his works to burn. He wants his works to you know, be either gold, silver, precious stone, not wood, hay, and stubble, according to First First uh, Corinthians. And so, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse forty-nine, look over there real quick. First Corinthians fifteen, verse forty-nine. Paul writes uh, to the church here. He says. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Um, so we bear the image of the heavenly. So that's what we should look like. That's the striving that we should have. Remember, two goals. Uh, one of them is to be to know him, and one of them is to be like him. And so we should be striving for that. And that's what Paul is talking about. So in verse 12, uh, Paul seeks to apprehend that for which he was apprehended. So we're going to look at the word apprehended for a minute. Now, we, uh, we should know what that means. You know, when the... When the uh, a cop arrests somebody, they're apprehended. That's the term we use all the time, right? You're taken in. Um, but have you ever considered why Jesus Christ reached out to you from heaven? Why did Jesus Christ apprehend you? Did you ever consider yourself apprehended? Why did he apprehend you? He apprehended you because your soul was precious to God. So you were apprehended, which means to be seized with eagerness and suddenness for the purpose of bringing you to heaven and for you being a living example of the grace of God. In Luke chapter 19, 19 verse 10, it says, But the Son of God is, made to, is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the purpose for him coming, was to seek and to save that which was lost, which was all of us. We were all lost. Well, we're not all lost now. We've been found. Um, but you were apprehended by Christ. You were made a new man, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You're, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All that old stuff, that wasted stuff, that means nothing. Paul called it dung. So you were made a new person. You were conformed to the image of Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And you are an instrument for the conversion of others. This is the important part for getting out there and doing things. You are, you are an instrument of the conversion of others. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. He's talking about Paul, but that's Paul's marching orders. Paul is supposed to bear my name before the Gentiles. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to bear his name before the lost? So Jesus Christ apprehended us. He caught us. He grabbed us. He snagged us and brought us. He, he said, okay, now you're on a path to heaven. Isn't that what we should do? Shouldn't we apprehend people? Be Christ like and apprehend people, at least be the mouthpiece so people can get saved. So you were apprehended of Christ uh, to be a new man, to be conformed to the image, uh, and, and you were seized just like Paul was on the road to Damascus. You were seized. Christ apprehended him because of a love for him and a desire that he glorify Christ. He also wanted to apprehend others for the same reasons. In Ephesians 2.10, where we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works. That good works is to apprehend other people into a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 14, we see Paul's attitude, uh, which is important for us, that same attitude, to press, 
meaning to pursue, to persecute, to follow hard after. How many of us press forward to get something done? You know how many of us are like this, where we just don't want, like, I'm willing to, if someone would just ask me a question about God, I would give them the answer, they'd get saved. But I'm not going to say anything because they don't ask me. That's not pressing. So we need to press. So if nothing else, press to get them to ask the question. So, but that's still not exactly what we, you know, we should be pressing all the time to be able to give an answer. Uh, we are too, o- we too often let the circumstances seem hard to us, you know, they, I, I, you know, so we let the circumstance press us backwards away from where we need to press into to get people saved. And then in verse 15, uh, there's an order for us to, in order for us to press, to pursue the prize, we must be minded three things you need to have in your mind in order to press against press for the prize we must be aware of the need to pursue we must be you know so sometimes we don't we don't realize and i think i mentioned this last week that there were people that i worked with uh years and years ago that when i told them i got saved they would go oh, i'm a christian too and i'm like well you never told me that you never witnessed to me anything and so it's kind of like that uh, they didn't they didn't know there was a need to pursue because they never sought to find out if I was a Christian or not. So we, we, need to, we need to know that there's a reason to pursue. Number two, we need to take action in pursuing. If you know there's a need to pursue, then you need to do something about it. Don't just, well, I'll let it go. And the number three is we need to be focused on pursuing. We need to be focused, so we need to be we need to be aware of the need. We need to take actions on the need, and we need to be focused on the, on the on the need. Um, whatever that looks like, I don't know. Everything is everything is different. Every situation is different. Uh, and then Paul wraps up in verses 17 to 21. Uh, he says, "Follow godly examples," and he actually referred to godly examples in verses 17, 18, uh, and then 19, 20. He referred to these are bad people. And he closes, closes up the chapter here. So as a reminder, verse 17 is actually the key verse of this chapter. It's the tool that we enlist in being, being a believer who is about to further the gospel. So verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk as ye have us for an example. Uh, and just about mentioning the, the key to the whole study is, is chapter 1, verse 12. It talks about the furtherance of the gospel. And so our theme has always been the encouragement to engage in actions that further the gospel. Okay, so verse 17, he says, Be followers of those who are good examples or examples of apprehending. And we, we talked about the difference between the word example and example uh, a few weeks back. But I want to mention it again today. The common commentaries typically will say that they are the same word. They're just spelled differently and mean the same thing, but that's not exactly true. Um, and you know it's not because it'll spell differently. Um, that's a simple way. But anyway, so the, um, an example is always, it always refers to a characteristic of a man. While an ins- let me let me back up. An example refers to a characteristic of a person. An example can be personal, general, or, or a process. So an example the word in sample is a word that comes from the same word as type, that is in typeset, and it means to strike a blow or impression to print. And the word comes from the same word as type, but it is a different meaning in the context. First Timothy chapter four, verse twelve says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, conversation, charity, spirit, and faith, and purity. So an example, uh, examples are the sim- are, are the sample of the whole. So I, I talked about this before. Then an example is the is a sample of the whole, but um, an in sample is, um, is 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 the uh, product of of what we're looking at. In samples come from the mold uh, from which others are formed or duplicated. So an in sample is not just a. And I've used this example before, and I don't remember exactly how to make it applicable but I'll try. You got a dozen eggs. You open up the cart, you got twelve eggs in there, you take one of them out there, this is an example of an egg. So that's an example. But 
if you have a set of things that are all the same, um, where you're saying this is how it should look, that's an in-sample, where it's a, it's a model or a, a, an illustration of it. And so Paul's encouragement in this chapter, in this, as he's wrapping up, is to follow people who are an in-sample and have a pattern uh, to follow after. So you need to look for the right kind of people, people who are in-samples that represent what you should be. Uh, not just an example, but an in-sample. Um, that's what he said in the verse here. Um, at the end of the verse, verse 17, is you have us for an in-sample. Not an example, but an in-sample. And then in verses 18 and 19, he gives us some wrong examples. He says, don't follow after these people. Verses 18 and 19, he says, um, for many walk of whom, of whom I have told you often, and I'll tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. They're in the flesh. They're in materialistic mindsets. Don't follow after them. And it's so easy to follow after those kind of people because somehow or another we hope we get the profit off of their materialism. And that's where a lot of churches are today. A lot of churches have a, have a big congregation because it's all about materialism. It's all about um, um, things that are not spiritual. And so anyway, he says others who have the potential example are in reality the enemies of the cross. And I never want to be called an enemy of the cross. Their goal is to destroy while they serve their flesh and find their glory in shameful and temporal things. And they appear as one who is spiritually minded, but they ultimately harm your walk. So be observant back all the way to verse 18 to mark them as either a positive or a negative example. Um, there's a lot of men that are, a lot of pastors, preachers that we can get on radio and television today. Uh, and some of them have names that at one time uh, were, were great influencers of, of the, the Christian church. And unfortunately, uh, they are no longer that way. So just because just because they they hold a they have a twenty thousand mega church and fourteen campuses around the country doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about. Doesn't mean that they're a good example. So you need to find out who your examples are and really know who they are. And I'm not going to name any names right now for the sake of that I want to, but uh, we could talk about some pretty influential people that have left the Bible, that have left the faith, that have left the truth, and they teach as if what they're doing is truth. And it's a shame. And it breaks my heart. And they never open their Bible. And they never open their Bible. And he gives in the last few verses the example and the intention of Jesus. Because that's ultimately the final, you know, our, our final in sample. Verse 20 said, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 21, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That is the greatest example that we could possibly have, is Christ. Our conversation, which means our behavior as a citizen, should be a sincere Christian as opposed to the enemies of the cross. And the word conversation here, as you know, you should know, is typically behavior as in body language. Because your body language can speak volumes and you don't even realize it sometimes. Uh, and so true Christians are ready for the return of Christ, but they are living as though they are such as just they're, they're living as though they're chapter or verses 12 to 16. So identify yourself in verses 6, 12 to 16 and uh, you, you'll be doing everything you need to be doing. So let me wrap up a couple of thoughts here. Are you pressing on for the calling? Uh, the calling of Christ to serve are you seeking to apprehend the souls around you and why are you following I'm sorry who are you following everybody follows somebody and hopefully the person you're following is the right kind of person and so that's that's what Paul has given us out of chapter uh, chapter 3 uh, next week will be in chapter 4 and um, I think everything's on schedule so let's pray and we'll be done. Thanks for uh, dealing with the audio for whoever was streaming. Apologize for that, but we'll figure something out.
So let's pray, then we'll be done. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the uh, the passage that we've examined, Lord, and the uh, the word uh, from uh, from Paul and the example that we have from Paul and the uh, the motivation that we have from Paul. Lord, help us to be like him, that we would press forward, that we would attain, that we would seek to apprehend, and that Lord, that we would count all things that are materialistic in flesh, Lord, that we would count them as as waste, as dumb, so that we might be able to count our walk with you uh, as, as, as the right walk, Lord, as we have two goals, to know Christ and to look like Christ. And so we praise you for that. Help us to, be, help us to accomplish those goals in our life, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.